All right, I want to welcome everybody in our Cornerstone family that is here in person, those who are watching online as well. I want to encourage those online, if you are able to be back in person with us, we want you back. We would love to have you back with us. So come on back and, uh, and be in person and meet people, greet people. The Lord's bringing a lot of new people to our church. And those newer people in the church want to meet the people that have been here for years. So come on back if you are able to, and uh, we'd love to get you back into the life of Cornerstone. So for, to, for this message, you're going to need to have your Bibles open. And if you did not bring a Bible, there should be one right in front of you. And if you're watching this at home, please get your Bible open to the book of Nehemiah. That's largely where we are going to be during this sermon. So the book of Nehemiah is uh, before you get to Psalms, and you're going to find it pretty easily there. Well, let me tell you a story about my childhood. This is like 39 years ago. And we had a snowstorm, central New York. We got a lot of snow growing up. And uh, we had a lot of snow on the ground, but we still had school. You know, up in central New York, it's very rare that they're going to close school down. So we had school. We had a lot of snow. But the roads were clear, except when you got to the fairgrounds. Now, the fairgrounds in our little town had a main road that bisected it, but then another road that went all the way around it in a square. And if you went all the way around it to probably between, I'd say almost a half a mile. And I got this great idea. I had my dad's huge white Oldsmobile. And I thought, Artie Kagans is with me, my best friend, had a couple other friends in the back seats. I said, you know what, let's go see if we can make it all the way around the fairgrounds. It's about a foot of snow. That thing would go anywhere, I thought. And so I just needed to get enough speed. So here we go. I got, an, I got a lot of speed going. We're going around. But you got to slow down to, you know, to kind of power slide it around the, the four corners. And I'm going, and all of a sudden, I'm slowing down. And I'm putting it, my foot down a little harder in the gas, and I'm slowing down. And the problem was so much snow got up under the car that the tires began to lose contact with the road. And before I knew it, we were stuck at the complete furthest part into the fairgrounds. We are stuck. You cannot even move this massive boat of a car. Now, let me tell you a parenting principle before I tell you why I'm saying this. A bored teenager is a dangerous thing. Now, all you parents of young children, you may not know this yet except from your own experiences, but you're going to find this out with your own kids one day. A bored teenager is a dangerous thing. Now, here's the point of that story. We are in a vision series. This is the last of the four parts. And if we're going to gain traction, if we're going to be a church that gets moving towards this vision and keeps moving, we're going to have to have all contact to the source of our power. We're going to have to get the wheels and the rubber on the ground. And that's really the purpose of this sermon as I teach you and show you what we're going to be doing, how we're going to get moving on this vision. So I hope you're ready for this. Let me take you back, though, three weeks. You see, week one 
what we talked about was Ezekiel chapter 36 and Ezekiel chapter 37. Don't you remember that we saw this valley? And this valley was full of dry bones, and they were very dead. There was no flesh, no ligaments. They were nothing but white, sun-scoured bones. And Ezekiel, the prophet, was told by God to prophesy to those bones. That means preach. That means declare the gospel. That means to have faith, trust that God can bring spiritually dead people to life. You know you have dead people around you, spiritually dead people all around you. They're lost. They're unsaved. They're unbelieving. There might be even some here in this church. There may be some watching right now online. You know. You know there is a dryness in your soul that goes beyond just a dry spell in your spiritual walk. There's a dryness that's never been full of life. That might be, probably is, an indication. You need the God of all life to give you life. We want to encourage you to come to the Father through Jesus, through the finished work of his death and burial and resurrection. Believe, rest, Trust in Jesus as the only means to have eternal life. You will be saved. So Ezekiel sees this valley of dry bones, and he preaches to them, and they come to life. And then the Spirit of God brings breath in them, and they become a mighty nation. Well, interestingly, just verses before that, God told Ezekiel to say this to the nation of Israel. If you want to see dry bones walking, if you want to see spiritually dead people alive, then pray to me and ask, and I will do it. You know, I believe we can have that prayer for the church today that God would increase his people like a flock like a flock destined for sacrifices, meaning that you're going to lay your life down on the altar. You're going to break the chains of this world. You're not going to love this world because John says, if you love this world, then the love of the Father is not in you. You're going to have a love for God that breaks idols, that willingly takes them to the valley of Hinnom and burns them. And you're going to serve God. You're going to worship God. But it begins with praying. It begins with us asking God. So we're We're asking you, pray. Every day, pray, Cornerstone, that God would increase his people, that he would gain glory, that God would multiply worshipers. So that was week one, that we're praying that God would multiply worshipers. Week two, we looked at the mission that Jesus gave us to multiply disciples, and we saw that the only mission, the only mission, not the best mission, Not the favorite mission, but literally the only mission that God has given to his church is to multiply disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. Baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them all that I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always. That's the mission of the church. Now I want you to think about this for a moment. If you go to any church... And they've come up with a new, modern, progressive mission. But that mission is not centrally embedded on making disciples. 
if I were you, I would leave that church as quickly as you could because that is not a church that is on the mission of Jesus Christ. There is only one mission. It is to multiply disciples. And we told you how we are going to plan to do that here. We told you our strategy, that we are going to be expanding and inviting people to our community groups, that we want to get people down into discipleship groups where we're going to teach you how to be a disciple who knows how to make a disciple. Because the reality is that most Christians have never been intentionally and strategically discipled. So they really don't know how to make a disciple. And we get that. We understand that. We're going to correct that. We're going to teach you how to be a disciple that knows how to make disciples. And then last week, we showed you the major shift that is really happening in this new strategy at Cornerstone. We're moving away from multi-siting, which is what we currently are doing, and we're going to be moving toward multi-planting. And multi-planting is incredibly exciting as we multiply churches into this family network of Christ-exalting churches. So we're looking at years down the road, God willing, that we would have several churches that all have the same vision, all have the same mission, but are each unique where God has planted them. They have their own pastors, they have their own board, they have their own budget, but they have the same DNA of the vision and the mission. And what is that DNA? Well, here it is again. We want to multiply worshipers, multiply disciples, and multiply churches. Now, as we develop that approach over the next couple years, we're going to need every single person involved. In fact, let me put it this way. If I could be so bold, and if you could have grace for me, let me just say this as your lead pastor. In a year, in a six months, we hope, if you're not involved here at Cornerstone, we really actually want you to feel like you're missing out on something. We want you to feel like you're just not in the sweet spot of what you could be. We want you to feel that there's something better for you here at Cornerstone, something better for you in life, something better for you in serving God, and we want to help you get involved. We want to help you get into the center of this church. Now, that was all introduction, that was all recap, that was all review. Now I'm going to move you forward. How are we going to get the rubber on the road? How are we going to get traction to get this church moving towards this vision, towards this strategy? Well, now enters Nehemiah, one of my favorite people in all of the Bible. In fact, the book of Nehemiah is one of my top three favorite books in all of the Bible. And he teaches us a great deal about servant leadership. Now, Nehemiah was a Jew, but I want you to hear this. He was born into captivity in Persia, so he's never been to Israel. But his heart beat for the people of God. So he is a Jewish man. He is in captivity in Persia. The nation of Israel is in exile in Persia by this point. And Nehemiah became, became the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, which is the most powerful nation in the entire world at that time. Did you know that the cupbearer is third 
in the kingdom by way of authority. So God had given Nehemiah favor. Nehemiah rose literally to become the third most powerful person in the world. He's a Jew, but he's never been to Israel. But he hears about the broken down condition of the people of God. A report comes to him through his brother Hanani and some other men that had come from Jerusalem. He hears about the rubble of the city, that the walls were burned and broken down. And what does he do? I want you to see what this godly servant does. He sat down and wept, Nehemiah 1 verse 4. He sat down and wept and mourned for days. Now let me ask you something. Be really honest with this because the answer might be this has never happened to you. Have you ever wept for days? Have you ever mourned for days? Have you ever been in grief that has lasted days? His did. He mourned for days, the Bible says, and he continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. So he hears this report about the squalor, about the rubble, about the broken down condition of God's people and God's city. It drives him to grief, but it moves him to act in faith. And God moved the king of Persia's heart. Nehemiah asked him, can I go back to my people? Can I go back to Jerusalem? And can I help them rebuild? And God moved in King Artaxerxes, and the king said yes. Not only did he say yes, he said, listen, Nehemiah, here's the Persian credit card, so to speak. You have an unlimited expense account. Whatever you need to rebuild that city, it's on me. Go ahead and go. I mean, this is what God does. Listen, if you've got an unsaved boss, if you've got an unsaved husband or an unsaved wife, if you've got an unsaved teacher that seems unmovable or immovable, that they are incalcitrant or fixed in their stubborn ways, listen, nobody is more powerful than God. Pray, fast, ask. And from Nehemiah's journey, from Nehemiah's life and leadership, we're going to learn three important and vital principles that are going to help us get this vision and strategy moving. Here's the first one. Number one, simplify. By the way, I would hold these three principles out to you in your own personal life as the same effective principles to get you moving on mission as they are for Nehemiah and what God had raised them up to do. These principles work. The first one, simplify. Now there's a difference. My professor taught me one time, there's a difference between simplistic and simple. You see, if someone says a solution to a problem is too simplistic, what they mean, it's negative, what they mean is that it won't solve the complexity of the situation. It's too cheap. It's too hollow. 
It's not sufficient. It's not enough. That's what simplistic has. Its overtones, its connotations are that it just won't work. But what we mean by simplify is that we want to uncomplicate the church. We want to be a church with less moving parts. You see, simplistic, you could put it this way. It's you have something that has really cheap parts. What we want is to simplify to have something with less parts. We want to make it easier. We want to have less things happening. Someone once taught me years ago, the good is the enemy of the great. I want you to think about that. That's true in your life. It's true in the church. If you're involved in a whole lot of good things and you are so busy doing these good things, I'm going to tell you those good things are going to keep you from doing the great things. The great things are always fewer. The good things are always numerous. You see, growing in maturity, growing in wisdom, growing in servant leadership in your own life, in your own family, in your own jobs, in your own schools, and in your own church always reduces activity and has the self-discipline to say no to the good so that you could go after the great. See, that's what it means to simplify the church. And Nehemiah was the master at this. He was the master at not getting stuck in the good, but accomplishing the great. So here's what happens. He arrives at Jerusalem. It took months, by the way, months to travel from Persia to Jerusalem. They didn't have planes. They didn't have cars. They didn't have charter buses. They had donkeys. They had horses, and they had their feet. So it took months to get from Persia to Nehemiah? How do I know that? Because Ezra traveled the same distance and he actually recorded how long it took him. And it took months. So it took a long time. He gets to Jerusalem. He rested for a couple days. It's it's a very taxing, very tiresome journey. He rested for a couple days and then he went out in the evening by himself. He took a tour of the city took a tour of the walls, and here's what he came back realizing. The walls were burned, and the walls were broken down. They were heaps of burned stone. You see, that's what the enemy does. I can't, you know, I don't have time in this sermon. You're just, please, if you could trust me on this and self-apply this, because I don't have time to tell you just how applicable This book is to your own life. Do you not know that the enemy is trying to destroy your own walls, your own marriage, your own family, your own reputation, your own integrity, your own morality? He wants to reduce them. You know why? Because Christian, if he can reduce your walls, as you're going to see in a minute, to rubble, you absolutely have no witness. You have no witness. How can you tell people of a sovereign, great God when your own walls are in rubble? Now listen, this is not to drive anybody in despair. Don't let it. That's where the devil wants you to go. You don't need to go there. Because Jesus is called the repairer of walls, the restorer of broken streets. He can restore. He can repair. you got to grieve you got to fast. you got to pray. you got to ask. 
and you got to trust. And as much as any of those, you got to humble yourself to do the very hard things. Nehemiah took that tour of that ruined wall, then he gathered all of his officials. And look at chapter 2, verse 17. Can we all look in our Bibles? You at home as well. You know I can't see you, but I'm going to ask that you do this. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. He said, he reports in to the, other, the rest of the remnants of people there. He said, you see the trouble we... Stop right there, look at me, would you? You want to know what I look for? I'm a, you know, a lot of you know I, I am a trained counselor, so I'm looking at little clues whenever I talk to you. That ought to frighten you. I can see down into your heart. That's not really true. But you know what I do, though? I really do listen to this. I'm always listening for some of you to say, our church, rather than your church. And almost invariably, when you start coming to Cornerstone, it's your church, Pastor Tim. You know, I like this about your church. Or has your church considered this? But when I suddenly hear that shift in that pronoun to our church, I know you're with us. Look what Nehemiah said. You see the trouble we are in. We are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem so that we may no longer suffer derision. See, a very subtle lesson that we can learn right here is that he didn't even focus on the ruined city of Jerusalem. Now, are you catching that? I'm afraid some of you are going to miss this and you're going to miss the power of this in your own life. See, if you've got walls that are broken down and you're trying to restore and repair everything in your life, you're not going to make it. You've got to focus on what will first bring you protection and peace and order. And it's always your walls before it's your city. He focused on the walls of Jerusalem, not the city, one thing at a time. He simplified but in chapter 3, he's going to now put all the people at work, not quite all as you'll see in a moment, but he's going to put the people at work on the wall. Nobody's working on the city. Listen, the temple is ruined right in the city. The houses are ruined in the city. He's not talking about the city. He's not working on the city. He's working on the wall, one thing at a time. Look what it says in chapter 4, verse 6. So we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. So in other words, it's half done. And why? Look at verse 6. For the people had a mind to work. All right, now we have to settle this. I need you to be honest with me. Because I think there are some at Cornerstone that really don't have a mind to work. And please forgive me if that sounds judgmental. I really don't mean that judgmental. I just know you're not involved in our church. Yet you come, or you come every month, or once every other month. We need you to have a mind to work. Not to make Cornerstone great. Listen, if that's what you're thinking, you don't understand this vision. It's that God would be glorified through his church. But we need you to have a mind to work. 
We need you to have a mind to serve. We want you to be excited. We want you to take your gift. You have one. You may have more than one. God may have given you more than one spiritual gift, but I will guarantee you this Christian, he has given you at least one gift, and he measured it out exactly. Some of you have a quart of that gift. Some of you have a gallon of that gift. Some of you have a pint of that gift. It doesn't make you better or worse than anybody else. He's giving you exactly what you need to do everything he's going to ask you to do. And if you needed more, more of this gift to do what he wants you to do, he would have given you more, and he still might give it to you. You have a gift. Now let's settle it. Are you using your gift in the church? You do know that's your primary reason you've been gifted. It's to build up the church. Oh, well, Pastor Tim, I've been using my gift at church among the unbelievers. That's fantastic. I hope you've got the gift of evangelism. That's where that one goes. Do you not realize in almost every one of these spiritual gifts that God doles out and measures out are for the building up of the church? Do you have a mind to work? All right, well, here's where I'm, I'm pushing you a little bit, okay? You've got to bear with me. Try to remember you love me. <laughs> Try to remember it. Hold on to this. Be obedient. Because you'll be miserable if you're not. Do you not know that those who worship worthless idols forfeit the grace that could have been theirs? That's what Jonah 2.8 says. If you want joy supreme if you want satisfaction to the full if you want a life on purpose then live the way god designed you have a mind to work and build up the church now i'm going to be really honest with you if this is not a church cornerstone where you believe you can do that i understand that i don't want you to leave really i don't but I do want you to use your gift with a mind to work. Find a church that is Christ-exalting and use your gift there. I hope it's here. Have a mind to work. Now, if you don't have a mind to work, you are a noble of Tekoa. Look at verse, chapter 3, verse 5. And next to them, the, the, uh, the Tekoites repaired but their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. So you're either having a mind to work or you are a noble of Tekoa. And you will not stoop to serve your God. Friends, I will not want to be in your shoes. And that is quite honestly much, much less a threat because it's not a threat. It is you're forfeiting life. You're giving up on life. You're settling. I want you to have the best life. Don't be a noble of Tekoa. Be one of the Tekoites. Repair, work, have a mind to work. They would not stoop. You know what that word stoop means in the Hebrew? It means they would not submit to Nehemiah's authority. And now we come to the rub of it all. They would not submit to Nehemiah's authority. They knew better than Nehemiah. 
They didn't like Nehemiah's way. They did not like his method. They did not like his direction. And friends, that plagues our modern day. More now than when I started ministry 30 years ago. We've got more people now that will not stoop because they believe they know better than the church leadership. They know better than other people in the pews. They will not stoop under the church's authority. They want authority. They will not submit to it. And when a pastor or an elder or a board governs strongly and graciously, they will recoil and often leave. Those are the nobles of Tekoa. They are anti-authoritarian. They are rebels. They are defiant people. And they are all through the modern church. We see them all the time. In our modern age, everyone, I think this is part of the problem. And I I truly have a lot of sympathy. If, If I'm actually describing you in the last minute or so, I really have, honestly, quite a lot of sympathy for you. Because you've likely grown up, grown up in an age of information. You have access to so much knowledge, more than I did when I was a kid. And you can become an armchair expert on virtually anything in life, anything in life, including church leadership. You've got so much knowledge. Rather, I think it's information because information needs to matriculate or kind of turn into knowledge, which matures into wisdom. So there's a chain that information goes on. A lot of people have so much information, but it's not yet converted into knowledge and it's not yet maturing into wisdom. They just got information. And if you've got just information and knowledge, the Bible gives a very stiff warning in 1 Corinthians. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. See, that's a trap of knowledge, by the way. You know there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know that was forbidden for them to eat Adam and Eve from that tree. Why? Because they needed to gain their knowledge from God. That tree was a test of their obedience. They needed to hear, they needed to gain wisdom, Proverbs 9, from God himself. Not go around God to an idol that that tree represented. But there's all kinds of idols that will give us knowledge today. And every idol will puff you up. It will exploit your heart into pride and arrogance. It's just the way it goes. You see, since Genesis 3, knowledge carries with it the potential to deceive us into believing that we have more power, we have a better plan, we have greater proficiency than anybody else, we should be the ones in charge. That's the nobles of Tekoa. And it's really difficult to fault anybody for this because we are immersed in a humanistic culture. You know what it means to be a humanistic culture proselyte. It means that, you know what, I'm an individual. I am a pragmatic, meaning I like to make things work. I want to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I don't really need God except when I'm in a real bind. Other than that, I got it. I can do it. I've got all the knowledge I need. That's what this modern generation, including you and including me, is immersed in. And it starts with the American dream. You know it as well as I do. You go to college, you get a job, you buy a house, you raise a family, and it all starts 
ironically, with that required college degree. Starts with knowledge. Well, the nobles of Tekoa would not serve the Lord. They would not work on the wall. The rest did. And Nehemiah presented, number two, a simple plan. Or number one, a simple plan. And then it leads to the second principle. Here it is. Not only do we need to simplify, we need to shift. We need to shift. You know, as a little boy, my family uh, bought... (laughs) This was fun. And... It was an air popper popcorn maker. How many of you have had an air popper popcorn maker in your lifetime? Oh my goodness. You need to go buy one. You're missing out on the most simple pleasures of life. So I would watch. I'm a little kid and it's all clear plastic around it. You put the popcorn in and the air superheats and it begins exploding. I was mesmerized as these, can, uh, these kernels would superheat and then start to explode into puffy white popcorn. Listen, I don't even like popcorn, and I made it all the time. It was just fun. You never knew which direction the corn was going to go when it exploded. Churches tend to be like that, and our church has not been an exception. Churches tend to be like a popcorn maker. They got a whole lot of kernels of awesome ministries, but they're all exploding and with all the great effort that they're putting into it, but every ministry goes its own direction. And you, can't, and you wonder why you cannot make forward progress. See, we're not only simplifying Cornerstone Church, We're shifting Cornerstone Church. Our goal is to get every ministry going in the same direction. And that direction is quite simply disciple-making. That's everything. Disciple-making. There's only one mission that Jesus has given his church. Go and make disciples. And I mentioned last week that the work that God performs, the devil will try to hinder but he will never succeed in thwarting the plans of God. Now, I want you to hear this really carefully because, again, I'm telling you, every one of these principles and strategies are as relevant to your own life, your own marriage, your own family, as they are to your church. If you begin to rebuild your marriage, you begin to rebuild your family, you begin to rebuild your reputation on integrity, I am telling you right now, the devil will do everything he can to try to thwart that. He's going to try to hinder. you got to be ready for it. And you've got to have the strength of your faith to know that the devil will never succeed, for God himself is sovereign. He will accomplish his purposes. And predictably, the enemy tries to hinder the work of the people of God in Nehemiah's day. Look what it says in Numbers 4, verse 8. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night, Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. See, Nehemiah is shifting. 
As you read on, Nehemiah is actually going to shift his workforce. Half of them will be working on the construction of the wall, while the other half stands guard and on watch. And in this way, this is amazing, this wall will be finished in an unbelievable 52 days. It was so fast that it shocked their enemies. It was a simple, single-minded shifted plan and the people were unified and the same can be true for us as we all press toward the goal of making disciples who love Jesus Christ. Now I've given you two principles, simplify, shift. And I told you in simplifying that we're trying to have fewer moving parts and in shifting we're bringing every ministry we have, every one of them, into a disciple-making filter. If it can't make disciples, we're not going to be doing it. It must make disciples if it's going to be a ministry at Cornerstone. But there is one final principle, and that final principle is spread. Simplify, shift, and spread. Now, I'm going to take you all the way back about a year and a half to the beginning of the Acts series that I did, that we actually are going to return to, Lord willing, and I told you about the 1982 Star Trek II movie called The Wrath of Khan. All right, a little audience participation. How many of you have seen The Wrath of Khan? How many of you feel like you're the uneducated, uneducated, uneducated? I can't even say it right. I guess I'm uneducated. How many of you feel like you're missing out because you have not seen The Wrath of Khan? Okay, we're going to have a Wrath of Khan air popper popcorn party at my house, okay? And we're going to watch it. It's a great movie. And there is a scene in that movie. Now, you ready? Now, listen, I assume if you haven't seen it because you have no imagination whatsoever, so now I've got to work harder to help you visualize this. So I want you to imagine something, this scene. It's a computer simulation. It's all on computer of a new technology called the Genesis Effect. And in this simulation, a rocket, the Genesis rocket, aptly named, by the way, as you will see, was fired to the surface of a lifeless moon. It struck the surface and it detonated, and then it rapidly began to go around the entire moon. And wherever that wave of the Genesis bomb went, it began to rapidly regenerate water, oceans, forests, until it transformed that moon into a life-sustaining planet. Now, I want you to borrow that for a moment. In your mind, hopefully you can vividly imagine that. Do you not know that is the same purpose and power and plan of the gospel? It was detonated in Acts 1, verse 8. Right after that, with the day of Pentecost. And it has been spreading around the globe since. Do you know that Paul said in his time in Acts that all the world had heard the gospel? What he meant, I think, is that all the Roman Empire had heard the gospel. But do you realize that the church fell into addition, not multiplication, and it cannot keep up with population growth? 
the population is growing faster than we're getting the gospel message to the unreached. We've got to correct that. And the way that we correct that is by spreading. To borrow from Nehemiah 3, now I want you to get this. This is something that a lot of times we read Nehemiah, we don't realize this. And Nehemiah chapter 3, when they're rebuilding the wall, they're also rebuilding watchtowers. And if you want to know what a watchtower is, friends, listen, here's what it is. It is a church. I'm going to take it the other direction. If you want to know what a church really is, it is a watchtower. And it is built to be able to go up and proclaim the good news to the people. And it's always built, all watchtowers were built next to the most vulnerable gates. Because it's the gates that the enemy attacks. I know what the movies show you, but I'm telling you, it's the gates. The enemy tries to burn down the gates. And when the gate is burned down, it can stream into the city. The watchtower was a garrison. It would even, there was a tower of the hundred in Nehemiah chapter 3, meaning it could hold a hundred soldiers. It was a garrison to be able to get soldiers right to that gate immediately and in a defensive position if necessary. So you've got all these watchtowers on the wall. And they needed to be there because look at chapter 4, verse 13. Nehemiah is building the wall and he realizes and he points out that there are still the lowest parts of the space behind the wall in open spaces. Do you know what that means? There were low spots on the wall still and there were open spots where the wall hadn't been built. They were vulnerable sections. It's where the wall could be breached or the gates could be breached and the city threatened. So the watchtowers were built right there near the gates. It's one of the greatest purposes of a church to keep the enemy from successfully assaulting the people. That is our purpose. That's why we need you to have a mind to work. That's why we're asking you to come and invite people to these weekend worship service, services. But don't be, don't be satisfied with a weekend worship service. Come down into community groups. Get involved with one another. Live life with one another. And don't be satisfied with just a community group. Get trained how to be a disciple that knows how to make disciples. And get out and testify. Get out and witness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to blow your mind for a moment. Do you know that nowhere in the Bible are we told to go out witnessing? I know you're looking at me like I'm some kind of pagan, right? Some preacher that, that has lost his mind. We're not told to go out witnessing anywhere. You know what we're told? We're told to be witnesses. There's a big difference. Do you not know what it means to be a witness? It means, hey, if you're a witness of a car accident, you just report what you saw. To be a witness of Jesus Christ means you just report what you know. You tell what you know. You share what you know. Versus witnessing, which carries a connotation. I'm not a theologian. I don't know how to answer their questions. I'm not brave enough to do that in, my, in the halls of my classroom. Well, listen, you're asked to be and commanded to be a witness. Just share what you know. Share what God's done to you and in your life. So much more easy, so much more manageable. 
Well, we're getting towards the end of this, but let me, ta- let me get that rubber of the car down on the road. Oh, we got to get some traction. We're going to help you get some traction. You know what we're doing coming up in May. So May 20th, 22nd. It's a weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We're not going to have services that weekend. We're going to ask everybody in Cornerstone. It's about 500 of us. We're going to ask everybody, every single one of you, we're asking you to join us. And we're going to leave the walls of this building. And we're going to leave the walls of Mark Street. And we're going out into the city to be witnesses, to, say, to tell what we know and to put it into action and to serve. There are going to be so many opportunities, a lot of them family-friendly. You're going to be able to serve meals to, we hope, we're putting this together, to the fire stations, to the police, to the social workers in the Governor Wolf building. You're going to be able to wash cars for free. You're going to be able to go door-to-door to collect food and canned food, non-perishable items for Project Easton and Salvation Army and others that give food to the poor and to the needy, including our own pantry. You're going to be able to do landscaping uh, and a lot more opportunities. And then we're going to have a a movable, portable worship band that's going to be walking around praising God downtown Easton. You might want to be part of that. And then on Sunday, we're going to ask all of you, every single one of you, to come back and come downtown. Because you know what we're going to do? We're going to get down to the circle. Yes, it's in rubble right now. Won't matter. And we're going to have teams all over the circle that are going to gather. And we're going to have a worship band that's playing loud enough for everybody to sing. And then we're going to be praying together in our groups Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 37 and 38. God, increase our people like a flock, like the flocks of Jerusalem and their appointed feasts, like flocks that were destined for sacrifice. Then the people will know that you are God. Why? Because you're going to be filling the cities with your people. We're asking you to join us. So if you could put it on your calendar now, you're going to get a whole lot more of this information. But we want to get going. We want to get the rubber of the tires of this church down on the pavement. And those who have been online, this is an opportunity for you to rejoin us. This is an opportunity for you to come back and connect in. And we're going to get moving and get this vision and this strategy moving. See, we believe, and I'm going to recap and I'm done. We believe that God wants us to be a family of multi-planting churches that make disciples of Jesus who will live on mission for the glory of God. That's our vision statement. How are you going to do it? How will we do it? It's very simple. We're going to multiply worshipers, multiply disciples, and multiply churches. But you've got to get the rubber on the road. How are we going to do that? We're going to simplify have less moving parts, a less complicated church, everything shifting into disciple-making and spreading out into multi-planting churches, which are watchtowers on the walls of the cities and the towns in which we live. What are we asking you to do? We're asking you to pray Ezekiel 36 every single day. We're asking you to declare the gospel, be a witness, declare it to the lost people all around you. And we're asking you to serve God with all of your heart. And let's go forward together. Amen? Oh my goodness, that was weak. Amen? Amen. That might have been fake. 
I'm kidding. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, for all that you are doing in this church, we are excited. Lord, we feel like we have a purpose. I was talking to a a couple this morning, Father, that you have brought back to this church, that have been bouncing in and out of this church. And they said that when they heard this vision series, they knew that we were a church on purpose. And they were excited about that, and they immediately came into membership class. They want to be a part of this. Lord, I pray that that would be true of every single person in this sanctuary, every person listening to this online. Lord, that you would excite us, that you would show us, Lord, what you want us to be, the vision, and that you would give all of us a mind to work the strategy, that we would be able to simplify, shift, and spread. Lord, that we would be successful in seeing you multiply worshipers as we then multiply disciples who will go out and multiply churches. Lord, we need to get going. The time is short. Father, I believe you're coming back sooner than we know. We need to get going. Give us the strength to do that. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.